You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. So this morning, we are doing uh, an amazing 3 by 10 preach again. So we like to every now and then have three different people preach for 10 minutes back to back. So uh, I love it because we get to um, hear three different perspectives and people that we wouldn't usually hear. But also I love the way that God often weaves a thread through three different people who don't know what the other people are going to preach. So can we, so each person that comes up, we're going to welcome them. We're going to respond and open our hearts to them. And the first person is the uh, amazing and very wise Mr. Craig Pellow. Can we welcome him this morning? Lord, we thank you for Craig, Lord. Lord, would, uh, would we receive, Lord, that which you're going to speak through him in Jesus' name, anoint him. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone. Um, thanks very much, elders and uh, leadership, for giving us this opportunity. It's, um, it is great. We normally hear Matt and uh, Paul and some of the elders preach all the time, so it's just nice to have a bit of a different flavor. I'm not going to say my flavor is going to be great, okay? So I'm asking Matt what to share, and, and Paul, just you know, what, what, are they, what are they expecting and so on. Um, they just gave us free reign, which was quite a, quite a challenge. And um, so I've chosen to do the whole book of Leviticus and Levitical law. So in 10 minutes, actually. No, I haven't. Um, they just said, go, go, go with it. Just, just speak what's on your heart. What's God doing in your heart? You know? And God's doing something in all of our hearts. So it's just nice to, you know, just to share that. So I've titled mine aptly, based on the last series we've been doing, Dressed for Purpose. Ooh. I was going to say Dressed for Success, but then you all think of Roxette. So. Um, basically, I just want to read one scripture. This jumped out at me. It's 1 Samuel 15, 17. Okay, we, I'll give you a paint a little bit of a picture. I'm not going to go too much in detail. I've got a very short period of time. And uh, which time I'm looking at? Ooh, that started early. That started early. <laughs> Okay, uh, 1 Samuel 15, verse 17. Okay, so Saul is king of Israel, the first king of Israel, and um, he's done something wrong, okay? But I'm not going to go into all those details. And Samuel has to come and rebuke him, all right? And um, Samuel says to him, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of all of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And it's amazing. There's this king. I mean, if we came to the presence of a king, we'd be pretty, wow, this guy's someone, you know. And yet Saul sees himself as little in his own, in his own eyes. And um, I just want to say to all of us, although you think you might be little and you don't have much to offer, you do. Yeah. You have great value. Don't do a mark. Don't do a mark. Don't cry, okay? <laughs> Jeez, I don't know how many times I said it to myself, don't do a mark. Uh, Paul, jeez, 10 minutes back. You can do the announcements in 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> your value is so great that the creator of the universe, the one we worship today, he thought of you and he made a plan so that you and him could have fellowship together. Okay. Um, he sees you. He really, really, really does see you. You know, yesterday I was invited to have breakfast uh, with a, f- a friend I haven't seen for a while. 
And it had to be 8 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning, cold. And I thought, oh, I'd really rather stay in bed. But you know what? I haven't seen this guy for a while, and I really wanted to spend time with him. So I sucked it up. I got out of bed. Everyone was still sleeping and um, went out and had a breakfast. Yeah, he was paying. So that's part of it. But that's great. <laughs> but I caught up with him, and it was great to connect and just spend time because he means something to me. And I want to be, you know, share life with him. How much more has God see you of value? And, uh, you know, he didn't just give up early morning, uh, uh, um, a late morning sleep. He gave it all. He absolutely gave it all. There's a table for you and him. Will you come to the table? Revelations 3.20, common verse that most of us know. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. That's the knock at your, your, your heart. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and I will eat with him and he with me. It's a wonderful picture. It's not a big group gathering. My wife loves group gatherings, you know. But um, it's a one-on-one thing. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. He sees your value. He knows your value. He sees the real you behind all the worldly things. You know, in the world, we, you know, Matt preached about, um, you know, what are you wearing? We, we put a lot of value on the things that we attain, and we present that to people. We say, hey, look where I am in life, you know. I've done pretty okay. God, God doesn't care. He, he really doesn't. And I think when we, when we really see Jesus... Um, for who he is. And we have that encounter. You know, Tom was telling me last night about the encounter. You can go, come to church all your life, but it's that encounter, that little encounter you can have with Jesus as to who he really is, that you come undone. And all those things that you put value on, you know, what you do and what you've achieved, they come to naught. They literally come to naught in his presence. And you know what's amazing? They all come to naught and you stand there with nothing. When you really see Jesus, you realize just how nothing you are. But you know what? He, has, he sees value in you. And he grabs the best robe in his house. And uh, he comes and puts a robe on you. He puts a ring on your finger to mark you as his son and his child. He puts shoes on your feet. And you're wearing new clothes. You know, the story, obviously, you're thinking, a lot of you are thinking about the, uh, the prodigal son. And... Uh, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful picture of all of our journeys, how we've turned away from God, and, and God comes and He waits for us, and we, and we make an effort to come back to Him. But He welcomes us in, and He, um, he loves us, and he, he dresses us with new clothes, you know, and we, we're filthy. We've got pig slop all over us. You know, we've been feeding pigs. We really are not in a good way. And, um, but yet God accepts us, and He loves us, okay? I love, there's a song at Hillsong Sing, and it's... Um, it's called crowns, and I love some of the words, and I'll read some of them. And when I stand in glory, my crowns before the Lord, let this be my confession. My wealth is in the cross. The greatest of all my crowns mean nothing to me now, for I counted up the cost. Thank you. My wealth is in the cross. I have nothing to offer God. Um, in comparison to what he's done for me, guys, okay? Um, you know what? And when we stand there and God sees you who you really are, you know, no badges, no nothing, you know? You know, I believe God says something to us. He says, Salborna. Where's Seppo? Seppo, what does Salborna mean in English? What does Salborna mean? It means hello, but the actual translation is, I see you. 
And I believe Jesus can speak Zulu, just by the way. <laughs> and he says, Craig, Mark, Paul, Matt, anybody, Beck, I see you. With no makeup or anything, I see you and I value you. Okay. John 1 verse 12. No, this is not fair. This is fast. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You are a child of the most high God. Please ponder that this week. I don't have time, I've only got a few minutes left, but I really want you to ponder your value to the creator, the master of this universe. Um, uh, consider the prodigal. Okay, it's a good picture of what we were like. I've told you that. Um, now that we, God's clothed us with all this stuff, okay, and we're in his household, what do we do? What is there for us to do? What do we do in the house? Well, what is it that you can do? What is in your hands? John chapter, 60, John chapter 6, verse 1 to 14. I'm not going to read it all, but it's, a, it's the story of the, uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000. I love it. A bit of human there in Jesus. You know, he tempts, uh, doesn't tempt. He tests the disciples. and he, all the, There's 5,000 men there and all the kids and whatever, and he's got to feed them. And he says, um, disciples, you've got to feed these guys. It's late. We've got to feed them. And uh, the disciples look at him and go, geez, what am I? <laughs> are you crazy? We don't have any food. We've got nothing for these people. And um, he knows that. Jesus knows that. But he just does it to test them. Uh, but one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are, well, what are they for so many people? But Jesus takes that. You know the story. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, okay? And he feeds over 5,000 people to the point that there's excess, okay? I love that. I love how God does that. Basically, there's times in the Bible where God takes little insignificant things. I meant to put this out in the beginning, but you can all see it. When God takes little insignificant things and he does awesome, amazing things, I will reveal all. The Bible is littered with examples of this, okay? I think of Gideon, the least of his tribe, hiding, hiding from the Midianites, and God calls him, and he puts so many tests to God. You know, if it's really you, do this, do this, and so on. And God uses him mightily and delivers his nation. And he doesn't use 22,000 men. God says, there's too many. I don't need 22,000 men to deliver you guys from Midianites. But he chooses 300. I mean, anybody in their right mind, it's not a lot of people, but he does it. David, King David, the least of his brothers. Samuel goes to anoint the new king after Saul. And he goes through all the brothers. And um, Samuel's going, surely this is the guy. This guy's big, he's rough, he's looking good, he make a good king. And God says, nah, I'm not looking at that. I look at the heart. There's David. Bathsheba. Those of you who know the story of Bathsheba, God's lineage came through Bathsheba. Rahab as well, a prostitute. And God shows his lineage through Rahab. Amazing. A humble stone to defeat an army. I'm nearly gone. Water. We just think water, 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 whatever. The wedding at Cana it turns the water into wine. What good can come from Nazareth? The people said. Jesus came from Nazareth. And finally, five loaves and two fish, as I've mentioned before. So take and use what you have to share the goodness of God. And be amazed at what he does. If you are able to witness them on earth, you might not see the fruits of all of them. There are others here sitting next to you, and there are others out there in Dananong and everywhere. 
that need Jesus and you are his hands and his feet. You know, one phone call, one meal, one song that you write or sing, one hug, one verse, a little thing, going out to the streets today, God can use that. God-inspired actions have huge impact. Stay close to him and connected and grafted into him. He's your life source. And let him direct you and let him guide you into how you can be him on this earth. It's just a stone, but this little stone in God's hands can destroy an army, okay? Thank you, guys. What a start. One of three. Can we uh, please be upstanding and welcome Eve Edison. We heard from Scott last week. Now we get the other half of the lovely Edison duo. Let's pray. Lord, anoint Eve. Lord, would we hear, Lord, what you want to speak to us through her this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm going to get straight into it because, like we've said before, we've got a strict time schedule here today. Um, I want to share a story with you this morning about the very first hike camp that I went on. So if you don't um, know this about me, I studied outdoor ed in uni as well as teaching. Didn't do any of that when I went to teaching. I'm a maths teacher. But when I was in year 11, I had my very first hike camp. Um, We were going on a trip to the Grampians. So this was what the first time I had to use one of those big hikes hiking packs. Have you seen those before? You have to shove everything in it that you need for three days. Um, Your cooking equipment, tent, sleeping bag, all the things. Um, So there's a proper way to pack a hiking pack, which I'm going to show you on the screens now, if you can read that. Have a peruse. All right. We've got your first, (laughs) thank you. We've got your first aid kit at the top. You've got like your cooking gear, your fuel in the middle. Um, The reason that you pack like that Um, is so that the weight distribution helps your balance, all right? So when you're walking on um, dangerous terrain, it helps you keep your balance um, and prevents you from falling. I didn't do that. Um, Somewhere somewhere in the the lead up, I missed the memo and I just shoved everything in the way that I thought it was going to fit best. Um, So in my pack, I had my Trangia stove, which is like this round metal clunky thing at the very, very top. So every step I took, it's donking me on the head. Um, And I didn't say anything because I was 17 and prideful. Um, (laughs) So as we're walking up this mountain, it's about eight k's in, I'm at the top of this, we're in the Grampians, it's rocky, uphill. Um, It starts to rain and I fall and roll my ankle. Um, My teacher comes, the kids are all surrounding me, not kids, they were my peers, they were all teenagers. Um, And my teacher's like, all right, quick, get your first aid kit out. And I was like, okay. I had to rummage, I had to pull everything out. My stove, everyone looked a bit confused why it was there. I had to pull my tent out, my clothes, and it's raining, all right? Everything's getting wet. My first aid kit's at the very bottom. Had I packed correctly, it would have been at the top and nothing would have gotten wet. When we don't pack correctly, we aren't prepared for a crisis, all right? And we're going to face crisis in life many, 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 many times. It's not avoidable. That's just the world that we live in. In the same way that we would pack for a hike, we need to also pack for our journey as Christ followers. So I'm going to show you a slightly different diagram. I'm going to call this our spiritual pack or our spiritual backpack, 
So you can see at the top where your first aid kit would go, that yellow part, I've put in there prayer, worship, connected in a discipleship group, word of God, warfare, joy of the Lord. So many other things could go in there, all right? There's only so much space on this little picture. All right. Um, these things at the top, they need to be accessible all the time. All right. They need to be able to be pulled out straight away when we hit crisis. Also when we're not in crisis, but especially when we hit crisis, those are the things that we need to go to straight away. All right, you'll notice in that blue section where we had like our fuel and our stove, the food part, that's our faith and our trust in God. If we don't pack our pack correctly and we hit a crisis and have things in all the wrong spaces, the first thing that can often get thrown out is our faith. Why is this happening to me? God must have forgotten about me. God must not love me. I'll just do this myself. In James 1, 2 to 4, it says, and we'll have it on the screen for you to read, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, also says perseverance in some versions, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We need to get the order right have a strong foundation in Christ to be strong in our faith in times of trials. They're not avoidable. We're always going to see trials in our lives. When we face these things, our response should be going straight to prayer, talking to God, worshipping Him. Go to your discipleship group and say, hey guys, I'm really struggling. Can you pray for me? Can you help me? All right, if you're not in a discipleship group, who do you go to? Just going to leave that there. This is your intimacy with the Father. And through this, He brings us peace. He brings us joy and He works miracles in our situations. So my first question to you this morning is, are you packed? The second point I'd like to make is that when you're packed, we're going somewhere. We're ready to go. It would be silly to have your pack packed and then just stay at home. So as Christians, we're always on mission. This is who we are and what we're called, who we're called to be. In Matthew 28, 19 to 20, um, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I love that verse. Are you going out into your day with your spiritual pack on? Or do you have your first aid kit sitting on your bedside table at home? Is your faith and fuel waiting for you when you get home from work? When it's time for bed and you should probably, you probably think maybe I'll read my Bible today. I am not trying to make people feel bad here. I have days like that too when I get to the end and I'm like, I should have done this at the start and maybe my day wouldn't have gone the way it went. Christ calls us to be on mission. This means having our packs ready to go into our workplaces, into our schools, into the supermarket, into daycare drop-off, into kids' sports. All right, it means walking with him daily in intimacy. You can't do that if you're pulling out the essentials every now and then. When we're packed, we have everything we need and God will give us everything that we need wherever we are. Um, just quickly in Exodus, I'm not going to read all of Exodus. I'm not even going to read any part of it. You can go home and do that this week. Um, but you should know this is about the Israelites being led out of Egypt by Moses. All right, and I just want to highlight a little pattern I see with the Israelites there. 
Um, God will do an amazing miracle. He'll part the Red Sea. They walk through. And then the minute they get a little bit uncomfortable, their first aid kit goes out the window. And they're like, why is God doing this? Why did you take us out of Egypt? Moses, we should have stayed in slavery. What are you doing? All right. Moses, he's got his pack packed properly. All right. He goes straight to God. He talks to him. He prays. And then God gives him direction. Be like Moses. My last point, I'm going to jump back into the story I told you at the start. So I'm at the top of that um, mountain with a rolled ankle um, with my all the belongings of my bag spread out into the rain. All right, now my teachers and my classmates didn't let me stay like that. They showed me what I'd done wrong. They didn't laugh at me. I thought they'd laugh at me, but they didn't. And they showed me how to do it properly. So for my own walk, this means I'm not going to get hit in the head by the stove anymore um, and I'm not going to be off balance. But also for my team, I wasn't going to slow them down from achieving what we'd set out to do. Too often, we see our brothers and sisters in Christ doing things that aren't fruitful. And too often, we care more about not wanting to offend them and wanting to keep the peace rather than calling things out in love. We are the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26 to 27, it says, If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. This is not me saying that we need to point the finger at every time someone makes a mistake, but it's out of our love for each other and our mission in being the body of Christ, we need to hold each other accountable. I've had this happen to me so many times. It can be really awkward and confronting and sometimes you can get a little bit hurt. All right, but I am so, so grateful to my pastors, to my leaders, to my friends who call things out in me because I wouldn't be the person I am today if they hadn't. If one part of the body isn't healthy, it affects all of us. All right, the message of individualism is constantly shoved down our throats in media. That's not God's heart for his people. That's not his heart for us. So let's be known as people who build each other up, hold each other accountable and spur each other on. So to end, I've got three questions for you. Obviously, there's a lot in that. So go home, reflect, see what God brings up for you. Um, Are you packed and are you packed properly? Are you living on mission? And are you encouraging those around you and holding them accountable to live according to what God has called us to do? That is the end. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you. Last but not least, you see how God starts to weave threads through. I don't know about you, but I'm excited for this last one as well. Mr. Sam Zanardo. Can we please uh, welcome him? You. Lovely. Thank you for Sam. Lord, anoint him. Give him clarity. Lord, and let us hear what you have to say to us. Enlarge us in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. It is an absolute privilege to be speaking today. Thank you guys for the words you brought. They were great words. Um, So the word I'm bringing today was something that God put on my heart at last month's prayer meeting. Please go to our prayer meetings. Um, God will speak to you individually as well as corporately. 
Um, but we were talking about the fire of God and, and God put on my heart the story of um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And I'm like, yeah, cool story. I, lo- I love that story. Um, and I felt God say, not just a cool story. It's a picture of how I want my people to be. People of unwavering obedience, um, people who value it for how I value it and a people who walk in confidence. Um, so we're going to jump into it. I've got a bit of scripture and this time it goes in two times speed. So let's jump in. So 1 Kings 18 verse 20 to 39. Um, just before this, um, Elijah and Ahab had met and they set this final showdown just for a little bit of context. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am, sorry, it's going up, man. What's the point of touch screen? (laughs) Yeah, I prepared this. I prepared this. Um, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Um, Then we're going to jump to 25. It says, Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar they had made, um, And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Um, And I love this bit. I like to imagine Elijah's just having the time of his life, watching all this unfold, taking from morning to noon, even into evening, and he's just smirking on his face and joining us, and then to the point where he starts to mock them. Um, And then, yeah, so next few verses, keep trying the luck, still no answer. Um, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two seers of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull into pieces. Yeah, so he's he's setting up the temple and then fills up some jars, um, does it a second and a third time. Um, and at the time of the offering of the oblation, offering to God, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things in your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Um, So I skipped ahead a little bit and there's some awesome bits before and after this. We know what happens after they go and execute all the other prophets. Um, But please go and read it for yourself because I've had to um, jump through. Now, I want to give a bit of context to this time. So um, like we touched on before with um, Eve's message um, and Craig's message, the Israelites were ruled by King Ahab, who was described as being a pretty evil guy, doing evil on the side of the Lord, and they were once again far from God. And they started to turn to other gods in the land to look for provision. So in comes this guy called Baal. So Baal actually wasn't his name, but Baal is a title meaning Lord that was given to him. Um, 
And so they were worshipping this guy as the supreme lord. Um, and he was seen as the, the god of fertility and rain. And um, before this part of the scripture that I read, um, God had brought about a drought um, in the land um, for their disobedience. So for a people who thought about survival through provision in crops and also through generations and descendants, we can see that when this happened, they start to look to other places because they were a bit worried. Um, even though the Lord had provided countless times before, um, they still turned to what they thought would bring about their survival. And we see here that um, it was a battle of lordship in the hearts of the people, ultimately. It was a battle of the Lord Baal and the Lord God. Um, so looking at this story, um, there's a few key takeaways that we can take from Elijah in this story. Um, the first one being our obedience can't only be when it's convenient for us. See, we look at this story and we, we look at Elijah and um, this wasn't convenient for him to step out like this. Like everyone wanted him dead. Um, the whole nation was against him because of the drought. Um, I'm sure when he was standing up there, he got some dirty looks from the people um, and many blamed him for it. Um, he's coming up against, it's one guy against 450 prophets. I'm sure they're all circling around him. Um, and in this story, we read that he doused the altar in, in water um, versus their dry wood um, and so, like, he, he really wanted to make sure that people knew that this was God, um, that, was, um, that the true God was going to be worshipped. Um, but part of this, and something he understood, that God isn't concerned in what we perceive to be a disadvantage or what the odds are against us. Um, I, think, I like to think that God laughs when we're like, God, this is too big, this is a challenge. It's like, it's not for me. It's not for me. Um, in the face of adversity, he stood strong because he trusted in the words that God had spoken to him. And he understood that when God spoke, it was incredibly important to listen and obey. And in each part of Elijah's story, we see that this is a pattern. In all that he does, he, do, he does it because he knows it blesses the Lord. See, God loves obedience. Um, it's often described as being his love language in the scriptures. And we see this all throughout the word. Um, in 1 James 5 verse 3, it says, This is love for God, that we obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And I think it begs the question of us, are we prepared to step up in the face of seemingly impossible odds because we are confident in our God or when it's not convenient for us? And is this driven by us wanting to bless and show our love to God? Now, the second takeaway, there can't be backups within our obedience. Now, like we painted the picture before, um, Elijah's one guy against 450, so he's not getting away with anything. Um, he hadn't brought a match or a lighter with him as a just-in-case. He didn't get the chance to douse the altar in lighter fluid so that he could somehow trick the people. Um, because if we set up excuses, then we don't have faith that he's all-powerful and true to his word. Instead, he came expectant and in complete confidence that God would prove to all that he was the one that should be worshipped. And too often we do this. We, we say we're trusting God with what he said to us, um, or that he'll bring breakthrough, but we have a backup plan, just in case that we keep in our back pocket, just in case God doesn't come through. But if God has spoken to us, there isn't a need for a backup plan. If we come from a backup plan, then it's often a faith issue. It's often that we don't comprehend actually who God is and how powerful he actually is. But Elijah understood this and he lived from that place. He knew the God he served and he remembered all he had done for the people of Israel because he lived in relationship with him. Like we were talking about before, he wasn't just in proximity, he was in the presence of God. And this is why he was able to come up against so many and still not waver in his faith. Um, in our own lives, it's so important that in order to fully trust him, that we look at what he's promised us and we look and see what he's done in our lives and the lives of the others. And thirdly, 
It's never in our it's never in our own strength, but us recognizing we serve a God of exceeding expectations. I think we sometimes forget that the, the, uh, we serve the same God um, as the God in the Old Testament, this God who did this very thing. Um, um, I love in the Bible, he often is described as everlasting to everlasting. We serve an everlasting to everlasting God. Um, and we see in this story, he didn't just burn the sacrifice. He could have just burned the sacrifice or done a little, little spark of fire, but it was a full-on fire from heaven. Um, and it didn't just burn the, the sacrifice, it burnt the entire altar, the whole offering and, and the water as well. Um, there was no doubt who was God in this moment. It's not a problem with him performing or coming through. It's often a problem with our ability to trust completely that he will, he will provide in these situations. And we see Elijah's prayer was simple. He didn't put on a big show. Um, he didn't go from morning to noon like the prophets of Baal, um, hoping that maybe God would come through. Um, he knew that the prayer he had to pray was, one of sim- was a simple one. It was out of a place of knowing that the, the God he served was one of power. And this came out of relationship and genuine fear of the Lord. And it's this place that we have to position ourselves in to recognize the limitations of ourselves, but also the unlimitedness of our God. See, ultimately, we are a people created to worship. And when we don't worship God, we look to worship other things. In this story, it's, it's gold versus Baal, um, the battle of the lordship, if you will. But um, we, often, we often look at these stories and be like, oh, that could never be me. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We waver between idols in our, in our own lives. They don't take a physical form a, a lot of the time, but um, that often can be so much more of a snare because it's harder to recognize within us. Um, it's essential that we constantly are asking God to reveal the areas we have idols and for us to spend time in his presence so that we can walk in a confidence of knowing who he is and out of a place of fear of the Lord. And, and if you're struggling in this, um, the best part is that we can go straight to the source. We can go straight to him. In Psalms 86 verse 11, it says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And this church should be our constant heart's posture and prayer to walk in confidence from a place of trust and obedience and from a fear of the Lord. Matt. Wow. Jake Pello, can you come grace us with your presence on the keyboard, you amazing man? I don't know if you guys uh, caught this thread, but let me, in one minute, give you a quick summary. I didn't know what these guys were going to preach on. You guys think, might think, well, that's insane. But I trust that God weaves a thread. Craig started with identity, that you have a place at the table that God values you. And for some of us, we need to just stay in that place. You need to know that God loves you and values you. It's not based on what you've done or what you can do. He's, he's made a place at the table for you. Eve talked about being ready for impact. From the place of identity, we move to a place of impact. Is your bag packed? Are you ready? Have you packed it in the way that actually you can use those things when called upon? So often I see this in church life, that people make no investment 
into relationship and then they come to crisis and they go, I, I need people to care for me. I need meals. I need people around me. And I say, we love you and we'll do our best, but you've made no investment over years and years and years into relationship. You're not in a discipleship group. You hardly come, but now you want all the benefit of the church community without ever having invested into the church community. For some of us, we need to reorder the backpack this morning. For some, we just need to hear God loves you, identity, and there's a place at the table. For some, you know you have a place at the table, but actually you've taken that place at the table for granted. And now God's saying, it's time to use what I've placed in your hands. You need to reorder the backpack a little bit. You need to put the foundational rocks in. Maybe you need to actually go, yeah, I am going to change my schedule and be in a discipleship group. I am going to change my budget and bring my finances and invest in the kingdom. I'm going to change my time and come to a prayer meeting or come to an outreach because actually I'm called to something more than just me and what I can get. And then Sam ended with this. Who's your provider? Who are you worshiping? Because see, for all of us, whether, whether you've never made a decision to follow Jesus or you've been walking with him for 50 years, we're constantly retested on this thing of do I actually trust that God will provide? Tradespeople, business people, if you run your own business, the biggest thing that you will face, the biggest challenge you will face is are you the provider or is God the provider? I've literally seen people step out of fellowship with church because they haven't settled this thing that God's my provider. And so constantly, jobs on Sundays, you know, work, work when they should be at discipleship. It's just this thing that we have to settle. You'll never go to the nations. You'll never go to an equip. You'll ne- you, you actually won't even take time off for holidays because what if I don't get another job? But for all of us, Identity, impact, provision, worship. What are we worshiping? Can we stand together? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.